Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. If I haven't met you, my name is Brendan, and I am the Young Adults Coordinator here with Crosspoint. But this morning, I want us to look at the story that has changed the world. That as we recognize, for a lot of us, stories impact and change our lives. We all live out of some form of a story. We all inhabit different types of cultures. And the place that we grow up, the stories that we live out, the cultures that we inhabit, shape and form the people that we become. Just simply by living in Canada or growing up wherever you grew up, there were certain cultural values that you inherited. And one of the greatest ways to understand these different cultural values is to go to a different culture, to go to a different country. And this was something uh, that I experienced when I was in high school. I went with my family, we went on a trip to Europe. And so we went to Europe, and one of the first places that we went to was France. And so France has this rich culture, a deep sense of history. There's restaurants in France that are older than the country of Canada. And they have this beautiful, you know, scene of art and a huge uh, culinary experience of different amazing foods. But we landed there and we kind of started to miss home. We noticed things were just a little bit different than what we were used to. And so as a result, out of our missing home, we ate at one restaurant very religiously while we were there. And I'm almost a little bit shameful to say. (laughs) In the midst of France, where was our favorite place to eat? Pizza Hut. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason we ate there is because of three values that we didn't know that we had. We valued in understanding our waiter. We valued in having air conditioning in the restaurant. And we valued having ice in our drinks. things that we held very, very dear to our hearts. And so in some ways, we arrived in France, but I wouldn't say that we moved in or inhabited that type of a culture. Fast forward a few years later, and I'm going on a missions trip to Thailand. This was a very, very different cultural experience. We, in fact, we spent eight months leading up to this trip learning about the country. We learned about the history, We learned about the values and customs, and to the best of our knowledge, we learned a little bit about their language. But we didn't truly understand the culture until we moved in and lived with the people for over uh, three weeks. And as you get to inhabit and meet these people, you see the cultural values that have formed them. And so this morning, we want to look at the culture of the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. And so when I talk about the idea of culture, that comes from a Latin word, and the root word is to cultivate. And so we want to see what does the gospel cultivate in us? What is the values and stories in which we live out of in light of the gospel? But we also recognize that there's a problem when it comes to the gospel, is that we can be a little bit forgetful. That at times we lose the power of this beautiful story. 
And so I recognize in this room right now, we, there are many people that might be at a different place. Maybe when I talk about the gospel, it's like a far-off country. You've heard about it through other people, and yet you're a little bit skeptical and kind of want to hold on to our own values. Maybe for others, you've become a Christian, and you become a part of the church, and you say, you know, I'm, I'm in. But the gospel is just a form of fire insurance. It's good for my afterlife, but not good for my everyday life. Like my family, we've moved into the country, but we're still operating by the values of a previous world. Or maybe for others this morning, we believe in the gospel, and yet it's lost its beauty and power. When you live in a country long enough, you become immune to the beauties of your country and your city. And maybe that's the case for you, where there's this desire to hold on to this for myself and not to share it with others. And I recognize when I talk about the gospel, there can be the culture of the gospel, especially, there can be a false idea of what that means. I'm not talking about some Christianized version of Western culture, but rather as we see the gospel speaks to every culture and every time. It both affirms and challenges values of culture. And a great way to illustrate this is to look at a brief look at the story of a missionary called Leslie Newbegin. And so he was in the 1900s, and he was from England, actually more, he was from Scotland, but he spent 36 years as a missionary in India. And so he spent a good chunk of his life in India as a missionary, and then he came back to England in 1973, and he quickly realized the England that he left was not the England that he had returned to. And maybe you feel like you can relate, you know, over the last two years. You know, the, the, the country that we've known is not the country that we seem to be in now. There's been a change. And for Leslie Newbegin, it was all these different forces. You have World War I, you have Industrial Revolution, the myth of progress. And what had happened is the very churches that had sent him out, the gospel had lost its relevance to them. And so he says, how do we evaluate all these cultures? How do we evaluate this, this changing dynamics? It's to see how does the gospel shape us? And there's this quote from Leslie Newbegin, and he talks about the gospel as, as not simply a belief, but a set of lenses. He says, the Christian story provides us with such a set of lenses, not something for us to look at, but for something to look through that the gospel becomes the lens in which we see our entire life. And so this morning, we're going to examine this lens through three different avenues. We're going to see how the gospel lens uh, forms the story that we are a part of. We're going to see how the gospel lens forms the language that we speak. And finally, we're going to see how the gospel lens forms the power that we live from. And so we're just going to take a quick moment to pray, and then we're going to dive into our text in 1 Corinthians. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we recognize that we are all in need of your grace. That we are prone to drift, we are prone to wander, and yet you, uh, by your word and through the act of Jesus, calls us back towards you. And so Jesus, we just pray you would soften our heart. Uh, would your word become real to us? We love you, Lord, in your name. 
Amen. So if you have a Bible, you can flip to 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verses 1. And we're going to walk through, uh, as I talked about, the lens of the gospel through the Apostle Paul in his letter to the, first Corinth, uh, to his letter to the Corinthian church. So picking up in verse 1. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so here's what we see with Paul as he Speaking out to this church, he says, I want to remind you of the gospel in which you have forgotten at times. And he talks about this gospel being in accordance with the scriptures, that it comes out of this deep-rooted history of the Bible, that the Bible is this unified story leading to Jesus, and it's the story that transforms all other stories. Jeff Vanderstelt, who is an author and pastor, he talks about it this way. He says, this is the true and better story that can redeem and make new every other story. You want to change a culture? Give them a new story. The gospel story renews all other stories. So what is that story? Because often at times we can forget. So the gospel story has four typically four chapters that we talk about. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so this story begins in the very beginning with God that we talked about a couple weeks ago that God is three persons but one in nature and essence, a perfect community of love. And it's out of this act of love that he creates the entire world. And he creates it good. The world is not an accident but the world is actually something that is created good and with purpose and dignity. And that we are created in God's image to reflect God to the world, to join him in his mission in the world. And this is the creation, that we are created for this purpose. Yet, something goes wrong. And we see that there's sin and brokenness that enters the world. And that in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, God puts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right in the middle of the garden. And we might ask, why would you put that tree in the middle? Because he says, eat from any other tree you want except this one tree. Don't eat from it. Why would you put that temptation right in the middle? It's like taking chocolate, putting it right on the table. Don't eat it. (laughs) That makes it even harder. But the reason that it was put in the middle of the garden It's because at the very heart of the relationship, God was asking Adam and Eve, will you trust me? Will you allow me to define what is good for your life? And unfortunately, Adam and Eve do not follow this. Instead, they desire to take the fruit, to be like God, and they transfer trust from God to themselves. They want to trust in myself. And this results in this relational brokenness. And Keller says that because of this relational brokenness, first with God, it affects all other relationships. Because a relationship with God has been broken, all other relationships 
with, a, <clears throat> with other human beings, with our very selves, and with the created world are also ruptured. As a result, we see brokenness within the way that we relate to ourselves. We see brokenness in the way that we relate to others. And we also see brokenness in our very world and creation. The world is not as it should be. But God does not leave us this way. In fact, God begins a plan of redemption, a plan of rescue. And he calls together a people. And he calls Abraham and he says, From you I will create a people that will be a blessing to the nations. And he forms the nation of Israel to to operate in this way. But unfortunately, Israel does not operate in this way. They do not trust God like Adam and Eve. And they put trust in themselves. And as a result, there's this brokenness, and they become like the other nations. And so there's this longing for them to become rescued. And it's out of this story that we see God actually step into human history in the person of Jesus, that God takes on human form and he lives as the perfect human. He lives as the perfect Israelite, that he trusted God perfectly through his entire life. He trusted God all the way, even to the point of death on a cross. But the cross did not hold him. That in fact, after three days, Jesus was raised from the dead. And that even in our letter here in 1 Corinthians Paul talks about how Jesus was risen from the dead and he visited people after. And there was this, they saw the risen Jesus, that it happened in real history and time. And this has changed everything. The wages of sin is death, but now because of Jesus, we can have new life in him. And Jesus moves towards this ultimate plan of restoration. That when we read through the entire book of the Bible to the very end, we get the picture of Revelation. And the reality is that there's this new heaven and new earth coming down, renewed creation, that everything is restored and made right. That in Romans uh, 8, 19, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for creation was subjected to futility, not willing because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Jesus has come to put all of creation right. This is a cosmic story, and yet it's also a deeply personal story. It's a story that we are invited to, that even in our brokenness, when we do not trust God, that through the work and grace of Jesus, we could be made right and new in him. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we are renewed by grace through faith. And faith is a relational word. It has to do with trust. Faith is not trusting in ourselves, but transferring that trust to the work of Jesus. That through what Jesus has done, we receive his righteousness, a gift that we did not deserve, but that we get to be called into his family. It says that we were adopted, 
We were orphans, and now we've been adopted into this family. And we get to be part of God's redemptive mission in the world, moving towards this final end of new heavens and a new earth. So I remember telling this story to uh, this young adult that I met back in Vancouver. And he was, from, he was from China. He had arrived. He was an immigrant. He was very unfamiliar with uh, anything of, of Western Canada. And he was very unfamiliar with Christianity. He hadn't even heard of Jesus. And so he said, you know, what does the Bible say? And so I shared him this story. And he, says, and he was blown away. He says, wow, I have never heard a story quite like that. This is a powerful story. And this story reshapes our own story. As some of you may know, uh, one of my big uh, loves is to play hockey. And so growing up, I played a lot of hockey, and I played junior B, and I was a goalie. And so during this season, I was traded and ended up on the very worst junior B team of all time. <laughs> we were so bad. But I was starting goalie, so it was all about me. <laughs> we still didn't win. <laughs> we approached every game, and there was this narrative of we were going to lose. My goal was simply, could I keep this game respectable? But I remember near the very end of this season, we were destined for last place, we weren't going to make the playoffs, I got a call. And I got a call from a junior A team. Not just any junior A team, but it, they were called the Surrey Eagles, the very best junior A team of that league. So not only was I on the worst team of the league, but I get called up to the very best team in the next league, some place I did not deserve. <laughs> but as I joined this team, I realized they were operating under a different narrative. Every game they approached, there was the expectation that we were going to win this game. They were instilled with a different type of value, a different work ethic. And I went from being the starting goalie, where it was all about me, to joining this team where I played as a backup goalie. I was not the hero of this story, but yet I was still a part of this story. And in the very end, we won the entire league. And so even though I sat on the bench the whole time, <laughs> I played one regular season game. <laughs> I had one win, though. <laughs> I got to lift the trophy at the very end. And I feel like that's such a good realization of the gospel. That for many of us, we are in a story that's leading to destruction, and we can rely on ourselves, yet it does not change the outcome. But like me, I was rescued out of that story. I became part of a new story that already had a history that I had joined into. And in the end, I received the same reward, not because of my own effort, but because of what other people had done. The gospel transforms our story because it redefines our story in light of Jesus, the true hero of history. And so we see the gospel forms the story that we are part of, but the gospel also forms the language that we speak. So picking back up, we're going to reread uh, verse 1 and following. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, and holding fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. And so to understand a language, it takes time to understand the grammar of that language. 
I remember in high school, uh, in grade nine, you had to learn, you had to learn French, and I did not like French. So grade 10, I decided I was gonna switch to Spanish. So I swore up to Spanish. Then I realized we didn't have a Spanish teacher. So the French teacher then began to teach me Spanish. <laughs> Safe to say I did not remember the grammar very well. <laughs> to truly understand a language is to take time to understand the grammar of that language. So what is the grammar of the gospel? Well, we see in this text, Paul talks about as something that we have received. And so what this means is that there's a past tense reality. When you become a Christian, you have received something. We received faith and grace. And the word here, the big theological word is the idea of justification, which is the idea that we've, uh, we've been rescued from the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death, but we've been rescued from that penalty because of the work of Jesus. Next, we see Paul talking about this by which you are being saved. There's a present working out of that salvation. And it's this big word of sanctification. But that's where we've been rescued from. We become rescued from the power of sin. That broken reality is no longer the thing that's defining our life. But our life is being defined by Jesus and his grace, and we're operating in a new power. And finally, we see Paul says, this is how you stand. It's a future reality. The big theological word is the idea of glorification, which means in the very end, we will be removed from the presence of sin. That when we become a Christian, when the new heavens and new earth comes, that there'll be this resurrection, that we will have a new resurrected body, that we will be in perfect communion with God and with others, and that sin will be no more, and that we will There'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more brokenness. There'll be this ultimate state of glory with God. But here's the problem, as we've talked about before. We often struggle to believe properly, or we have misplaced belief or misplaced trust. And this is why Paul reminds the church in Corinth not to believe in vain. Tertullian, who is a church father uh, right after the New Testament, he says that in the same way that the gospel, Jesus was crucified between two thieves, the gospel can be crucified between two errors. One error is the idea of religion or moralism. The other error is the idea of irreligion or relativism. On one hand, we look to the idea of religion to define our relationship with God. If I can just do the right things, then God has to love me. And it becomes all about ourselves, proving ourselves. On the other hand, there's the idea of relativism, where it says, I am going to live my life as I want to. And I know God is loving and gracious, so it's going to work out at the end for me. And it doesn't really matter how I live, as long as I live by my own standards. I will define what is right and wrong for me. The problem is both of these fail to understand the gospel. And they become both, in some ways, a self-saving project. Martin Luther says that religion is the default motive of our heart. 
And even e-religion looks to a set of values to establish our worth. Here's the problem, though. Both of those have the wrong motivation. We either become motivated by fear or by pride. There's a fear of punishment where we think, you know, if, you know, if, I, can, if I don't do these right things, God will not love me. Or on the other hand, we can have a sense of pride. You see, I'm a good Christian. I go to church. I tithe. I do all these things so God has to love me. But the gospel undermines both the fear and the pride. The gospel destroys pride by saying that we were so lost that Christ had to die for you. But it also destroys fear because there's nothing that we can do that can exhaust us from the immense love of God. That we become motivated by this love. Religion looks to bend people into a new shape. The gospel looks to melt us into a new form of being. And we do this not for our own sake, but actually as a response to God. Timothy Keller, again, he says this, the gospel leads us to do the right thing, not for our sake, but for God's sake, for Christ's sake, out of a desire to know, resemble, please, and love the one who saved us. The kind of motivation can only grow in a heart, in a heart deeply touched by grace. That we need this grace. That as we learn this grammar of the gospel, we are able to translate that into our lives and into the lives of others. That as you learn a language, you're able to translate that. And in my life, I've seen other people do this, uh, which has helped me so much. If you want a good example from Scripture, read the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, where Corinthians was a church that really struggled. And yet Paul just didn't give them, here's some good advice. He gave them the gospel. He says, here's your issue. But here's how the gospel speaks to that. It doesn't just speak to what you want to do, but it speaks to the heart of why you're doing that. So I remember when I was back in Burnaby, I had a mentor and a pastor who I worked with. And I remember we sat down one day in the afternoon, and he asked me, how is your prayer life going? And I quickly responded with, well, I know I should be praying more. I'm not really praying as much as I should. I should be busy, and I start to list all of these excuses. I'm not really praying as I should. And he kind of paused for a moment and looked at me. He says, it seems like prayer is really dependent on you. And it says, he says, it seems like you're kind of motivated out of guilt. And I quickly kind of realized that he was right. <laughs> and he said, how would your prayer life look different if you filtered it through the lens of the gospel? Because you don't need to pray to gain God's approval. But God actually loves you immensely, regardless of how good you are at praying. He says, then your prayer is actually not something to earn God's favor, but it becomes a way in which you respond to the grace that you've received. And that prayer actually becomes an act of love because of what I've received. It's not a way to earn God's love, but it's a response to his love. And this transforms the way that we look at our lives. So the gospel is the story the new story that we are part of, the gospel forms the language that we speak. And finally, the gospel becomes the power by which we live by. So pick up in verse 9. 
Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On, con on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. And so Paul has this life transformation. He goes through operating on his own abilities to all of a sudden operating through the gospel. And the gospel and grace becomes the power in which he lives out of. Dallas Willard says, the gospel is opposed to earning, not to effort. That the gospel actually becomes this new power in which we live our lives. And I remember actually encountering someone where this became so real for them. Back in Bible college, uh, leading up to this big missions trip that I talked about in the beginning, there was this one young adult that I was working with, mentoring with, and I remember having different conversations with him. He came from quite a rough background. He'd come to Bible college to kind of renew his faith. He had this sense of excitement. But as the year began to progress, he began to become filled with doubt. I remember having this conversation. He says, why couldn't God just appear in front of me? Then I would believe him and it would all be good. And doubt is okay. We actually are to explore doubt. But this doubt began to take root in his life. And he began to move back to an old way of being. And he moved back to doing drugs, operating on the way that he was before. But then something happened. He got caught. And so what he deserved was actually to be expelled. You know, you weren't allowed to, t to have drugs during this time. And he should have been expelled. He should not be allowed to go on the trip. That is what he deserved. Yet, there was leaders that extended grace to him. They extended a favor that he, was, that he did not deserve. And in fact, they said, you know what, we're going to let you go on this trip. And I'm going to tell you now, that was not the same person that left for the trip as the one that came back from it. That that grace was not just a concept that he had heard of, but it was actually a reality that he experienced. And it transformed his entire life. I remember watching him, we're doing a VBS in Thailand, and here it's in, you know, 40 degrees, humid, and he's on the stage just giving everything that he has, you know, loving these kids, and he walks off the stage, and he is drenched in sweat. There is not a dry piece of clothing on him. Even his shoes were just covered in sweat. It was disgusting. <laughs> but here, he was trying harder than anyone, not because he was trying to earn God's favor, because he had received that. Grace had become the very power in which he had begun to live his life out. And for all of us, we need to re-encounter this power of the gospel. Yes, the gospel is good for afterlife, but it's good for our everyday life. That it becomes the power in which we live our lives. So as we move into a time of response, we'll move into communion shortly. But I want us to reflect and to reflect on this question. What does it look like for you to take your next step in belief in the gospel? As we talked about before, maybe the gospel is foreign. Maybe you, you're not a Christian and you're trying to live your life on your own. 
and you can feel the brokenness and the hurt and the pain. And here's the call of Jesus. I died for you. I love you. You are my beloved. And that as we, through grace and faith, can transfer our trust to Jesus and to move into God's kingdom, to be totally renewed by Jesus. This is the free gift offered to you. And as we talked about before, maybe you've been a Christian for a little while and you've lost the power of the gospel. You're still operating in these false beliefs. We are trying to live this Christian life on your own. You're trying to live by your own strength, trying to do it in order to prove that you're worthy of being loved. Hear the words of the gospel, that God has loved you and that there's this new power available for you as we operate out of a response to what God has done for us. And maybe for you, you've seen the, you know, you believe the gospel, yes, this is good, but yet you, there's a fear of sharing this with others. Like when you lived in a land and you find those gems of your city, you don't want to tell other people, you want to just hold on to them for yourself. But that's not how the gospel works. We actually want to invite other people into this beautiful story. So what would it look like for you to step out of your comfort zone where sharing the gospel is not something that's relied on you, but it's actually a response to the love that you've received? What does it look like for you to take the next step in the gospel? And so this morning, fittingly, is Communion Sunday. And so I'm going to grab the elements here. But the interesting thing, to really understand the culture of the gospel, or to understand the reality of a culture, in my opinion, is to eat their food. This is where you get the heart and soul of a culture. And Jesus offers us a meal. And that's the meal of communion. And so as a way of wrapping this up that, and a way of responding is we're going to take communion and we're going to be reminded of the gospel and we're going to uh, share this beautiful meal together. And so before that, I want us to just take a moment to reflect on communion itself. So after the sermon, we'll have time uh, when the countdown clock goes to go up and grab our, our um, elements. But now let's just pause and reflect on it. So the Lord's table is open to all those who earnestly love Jesus and seek to repent of their sins. And so the Lord's table is first where believers in Christ remember what Christ has done on our behalf. That we get to be reminded of the good news that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Second, we see that the Lord's table is a place of repentance, of forgiveness of sins. It's a place where we turn away from our brokenness and turn towards Christ, who is eager to extend grace and mercy to us. And thirdly, we see that the Lord's table is a place of reconciliation. It's where we represent our fellowship with Christ and with each other where we seek peace to forgive others just as we have been forgiven by Jesus. And finally, the Lord's table is sacred. 
And so as a result, we want to hear God's warning not to partake in an unworthy manner. And so in a moment when we participate together, you'll be able to take the emblems, you'll be able to take it with either yourself or with people around you. We take this all together, but not necessarily all at once. And so let us turn to the word of God. Scripture teaches us, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat it, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so I want, cross point, I want to invite you this morning to remember, to repent, to reconcile, and receive Christ with joy and gladness. And so we're going to move into a time of responding and reflecting through communion. There'll be a countdown clock that will come up, and then you'll be able to go and grab your elements. Again, take the bread first, and then the cup. Let me just first pray, and then we'll move into a time of responding. Jesus, we come before you, and we just recognize our brokenness and our need. That so often we want to put trust in ourselves, and, to, and we fail to trust you perfectly. Yet, God, we are reminded of your grace. That no matter where we are this morning, that you loved us, that you died for us, and that we can have new life in you. So, Jesus, we just pray that you would uh, do a work in our heart, in our lives. Soften our heart. Allow us to be transformed by this loving grace of the gospel. We want to be your people. We want to respond to your love this morning. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.